This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. We start tonight's bill with one of my personal favorites, Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Tonight's episode is entitled Clay City Teacher. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Our Miss Brooks teaches English at Madison High School. And like most other teachers, she tries to stay on the best of terms with her principal, Mr. Osgood Conklin. This isn't always easy. You see, Mr. Conklin has high blood pressure, and it's wise to take him with a grain of salt. Of course, it's wiser not to take him at all. (laughs) Anyway, on Thursday, he gave me a little honorary assignment to take care of on my own time, which consisted of a report he had to submit to the school board. I was to rephrase, punctuate, and proofread the 25 pages by morning. And sure enough, I got it all done by morning. (laughs) In fact, when Mrs. Davis, my landlady, awakened me, I had been sleeping like a baby for over 20 minutes. Small upset, dear. What's the trouble? Nightmare? No, daymare. I was up all night with some extra work Mr. Conklin gave me. Oh. Well, I guess you can use the extra money that goes with it. Money? What money? Surely there must be some compensation for working away from the school. Oh, there is, Mrs. Davis. The satisfaction of a job well done. The thrill of helping my colleagues in their time of need. And the gratification that comes with the knowledge that I've assisted my superior officer on the battlefield of life. (laughs) And you know something else, Mrs. Davis. What, Connie? The next time I work at home, it'll cost him a fin. (laughs) Well, remember this, dear. Money won't buy back your health and good looks once they've gone. If I were you, I'd flatly refuse to do any extra work at all. Oh, but I can't do that. Mr. Conklin's my principal. That doesn't give him the license to make a beast of burden out of you. Why, for two cents, I'd advise you to quit. And if I had two cents, I'd take your advice. (laughs) (laughs) No, Mrs. Davis, even a beast of burden has to earn oat money. Well, hurry with your shower, Connie. I've got a nice breakfast all planned for you. Oh, I won't have time for breakfast today, Mrs. Davis. Walter Denton's taking me to school in his car so I can get this report to Mr. Conklin. What's the matter with your car, Connie? I had a little trouble with the steering wheel. What kind of trouble? It came off. (laughs) It's nice of you to give me this lift today, Walter. And I'd like to compliment you on your promptness, too. You were right on time. Oh, punctuality's a mania with me, Miss Brooks. Besides, if I wasn't on time, you'd let some other kid pick you up. Like I always say, the early bird catches the worm. (laughs) Well, like I always say to the other worms, let's get some men and go fishing. (laughs) Confidentially, Miss Brooks, you look like you could use a little help. You seem bushed. 
Frankly, I think you're work happy, Miss Brooks. Work happy? Yeah. What did you do last night after you got home from school? I worked on a report for Mr. Conklin. Aha, I knew it. Mr. Conklin shouldn't give you extra things to do. Why don't you tell him about it, Walter? Well, I'm not kidding, Miss Brooks. If you let him, Mr. Conklin will make a beast of burden out of you. You gotta put your foot down. I may put all four of them down. <laughs> and I've been reading in the papers that there's quite a shortage of good teachers. You don't have to tow cow to anybody. I don't have to what, Walter? Tow cow. It's Chinese slang for polishing the apple. <laughs> Well, Walter, I don't tow cow to Mr. Conklin. It's just that he's my principal. And Excuse I... me, Miss Brooks, but he's only your principal at school. After hours, he's just. Uh, before I quote what I'm going to quote, I'd like to make a prior statement. Proceed. Well, any remark I make now is merely something I overheard in my daily contact with other members of the student body and does not necessarily reflect the opinion of the repeating eavesdropper. Well, repeat away, eavesdropper. I've heard sundry other pupils refer to Mr. Conklin as... Like I said, Miss Brooks, this isn't necessarily my opinion of him. You've made that very clear, Walter. Yeah, good. Well, some of the kids have spoken of Mr. Conklin as... After all, I go with his daughter Harriet, you know. Yes, I know. It might not be the right thing to do to talk about my father-in-law. Walter, you're not married yet. Well, that's right, too. Well, I've heard him called it... Gee, I wouldn't want Harriet to know about this. My lips are sealed, Walter. Now go on. Okay. Now, Mr. Conklin, in the eyes of some of the undergraduates at this high school, is nothing but a... Gosh, if I was Harriet's father and he was going to marry Harriet, I wouldn't want him to go repeating things about me. Then again, he'd probably be the first one to do it. Sure he would. So I'll tell. Tell, tell. <laughs> a kid in the cafeteria called Mr. Conklin a big inflated bag of ego. There, I said it. Give that boy a new Nash and a pair of pajamas to drive it in You won't ever mention my mentioning this, will you, Miss Brooks? Oh, of course not, Walter I wouldn't even want anyone to hear me thinking it Mr. Conklin may be rather a disciplinarian But he does have quite a job on his hands, too Running a high school these days is difficult work Now, just between you and me, Walter Yes? How would you go about deflating a big bag of ego? Well, the first thing I'd do is not let him think I was afraid of my job. I'd walk in with whatever work I'd done for him last night, throw it on his desk and say, There you are. That's the last work I do outside of my regular school duties. Take it or leave it, Buster. Well, that sounds like sterling advice, Walter, but there's just one more thing I'd like to ask you. What's that, Miss Brooks? If Buster decides to leave it... Yeah? Where's the nearest local of the Beasts of Burden Union? <laughs> Now then, Harriet, I want the furniture in this office to be absolutely glistening. But, Daddy, it's as neat as a pin now. Harriet Conklin, when your father and principal asks you to polish something, grab a dust rag, girl. Why, <laughs> Daddy? Because Mr. Jason Brill, the principal of Clay City High School, is paying me a visit. You know how sarcastic and critical he can be. But why is he coming to Madison? Well, I'm not positive, Harriet, but I think the old pirate is here to raid one of my teachers. It's a deplorable practice. But he stole a Spanish teacher right from under the nose of Colton's principal. But, Daddy, didn't you get our new math teacher, Mr. Fane, away from Clay City? Uh, that, Harriet, is just a rumor. <laughs> Mr. Fane came to Madison of his own free will. 
You mean he joined our faculty before you gave him your own study at home to sleep in and promised him your car whenever he wanted it and told him about having all his meals with us free of charge and two movies a week thrown in? <laughs> Consider the subject closed. Now, if that Brill thinks he can sneak in here like a thief in the night... I beg rob... your pardon. What? It, it... It just call me Kettle. I'm the Kettle that was being called black by that pot over there. <laughs> now, see here, Brill. I won't... Oh, excuse me. That will be all, Harriet. Yes, Daddy. Goodbye, Mr. Brill. Yeah, goodbye, Harriet. Poor girl. What do you mean, poor girl? If you've come here to get my goat, Jason oh, Brill, I'm... Oh, on the contrary, Osgood. It's not a goat I'm after. It's an English teacher I've got my eye on. An English teacher? This is war, Osgood. Remember, <laughs> you cross my frontier first. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about Mr. Fane, a good, if flighty, math teacher. Okay, you've got Fane. But I'm going to get the best English teacher at Madison, Miss Constance Brooks. Miss Brooks? But what made you pick her out? I'm attracted to her syntax. <laughs> Very interesting, Brill, but an altogether impossible task. Why should Miss Brooks want to work for any other principal when she's used to the benevolent, tender, warm-hearted guidance of a person like myself? And that's one of the things I'm depending on. <laughs> Another one is a secret weapon, Osgood. You'll find out all about it when it's too late. Secret weapon? What secret weapon? It's a secret, Osgood. <laughs> but believe me, it's going to work. Jason, you're being absolutely childish. There isn't the remotest possibility of Miss Brooks making any such ridiculous change as you suggest. There isn't, Dad. No, there isn't. Hey, look, Osgood, I don't want to be an old I told you so, but that's just what they said right before Jack Benny switched to CBS. <laughs> Come in. There you are, Mr. Conklin. That's the last work I do outside of my regular duties. Miss Brooks. That's it. Take it or leave it, Buster. I mean, sir. They've gotten to her. Um, come here, Miss Brooks. Sit down by my desk, if you please. What? Oh, but I've got a class soon, Mr. Uh, Conklin. can wait. You've been working too hard lately, Miss Brooks. I have? That is sure I have. I don't like it, you hear? I don't like it one bit. You don't? We here at Madison don't want our teachers to overwork. After all, you're an educator, a person of intellect and perception, not a... a... Beast of burden. Exactly. <laughs> Look about you, Miss Brooks. The walls of this office. That picture hanging there of Madison's first principal. Yoda Critch. He certainly was. There's more to a school than the people in it. There's tradition. Tradition of loyalty and industry, good fellowship and cooperation, but mostly loyalty. Why, when I think of our school song, it brings a lump to my throat. <laughs> oh, Madison, thou Madison, I love the air, thou, uh, thou. Madison? Uh, thou Madison. <laughs> Miss Brooks. Come with me to the window. These hallowed walls. This lovely ivy-covered exterior. Do you know the significance of this venerable and beloved ivy, Miss Brooks? Why, no, I don't, Mr. Conklin. Uh, here, I'll raise the window. Here, let me help you. 
It's caught in that scummy ivy. There we are. Now look, Miss Brooks. Look at this beautiful campus. As far as the eye can see, green grass. Now, there's one thing I want you to do before you do anything else. No. What? No, I won't do it. Won't do what? I absolutely refuse to mow that lawn. Arden will continue in just a moment, but first, here is Vern Smith. The makers of Palm Olive Soap are giving away $100,000 in prizes. First prize, $49,000, plus over 4,900 other cash prizes in the big 49 Gold Rush Contest. Hundreds will strike it rich in this exciting Gold Rush Contest. One of them may be you. It's easy to enter. Just finish this sentence in 25 additional words or less. I like palm olive soap because... That's all. Just 25 words or less to finish the sentence, I like palm olive soap because... Then mail your entry right away along with a palm olive soap wrapper. Try for your share of that $100,000 in prizes right now. Your chance of winning $49,000 is as good as anyone's. Get entry blank with complete rules from your dealer or write your completed sentence on plain paper. Include your name and address and dealer's name and address. Mail with one palm olive soap wrapper for each entry to Gold Rush Contest, Box 49, New York 8, New York. You better write that down. Gold Rush Contest, Box 49, New York 8, New York. Enter as often as you like, including one wrapper with each entry. But hurry, the contest closes a week from next Saturday. Mail your entry right away. Get palm olive soap right away to help win a lovelier complexion and try for your share of the $100,000 in cash prizes. Well, Mr. Conklin not only canceled all the extracurricular work for me, but as we stood by the window looking across the campus, he actually bent over backwards to be courteous and sweet. Of course, he didn't bend over quite far enough. But it was a surprise to see him acting so human. Although I couldn't understand the reason for this unaccustomed solicitude, I didn't let it spoil my appetite. When lunch period arrived, I was in the school cafeteria with our bashful biologist, Mr. Philip Boynton. Here we are. Sit right down, Miss Brooks. Oh, thanks. Have you got everything? Modesty forbids a direct answer. <laughs> oh, you mean on my tray. <laughs> Set, Mr. Boynton. Oh, good. How do you like what they're serving in the cafeteria these days, Miss Brooks? Well, it'll never replace food, but it's improving. <laughs> it isn't what you eat in a place that's important anyway. It's with whom. What's with whom? With whom you eat with whom. <laughs> or as I once heard another English teacher say, what's with you? <laughs> oh, you're teasing me again, Miss Brooks, but I'm getting kind of used to it. I catch on much faster now than I used to, don't you think? Oh, yes, you're really gone, Mr. Boynton. <laughs> Not until I finish my meatballs. Uh, uh, that's, that's another one of those colloquial expressions, isn't it? Gone. Uh, I wonder what the derivation actually is. How a simple expression like the past tense of go could assume the connotation with which it's currently associated seems totally incomprehensible at first glance. Eat your meatballs, Mr. Boynton, before they get warm again. <laughs> oh, excuse me, Miss Brooks, Mr. Boynton. Well, it's Harriet Conklin. Hello, Harriet. Daddy wants to see you in his office right away, Mr. Boynton, if you don't mind. And if he does mind? 
Oh, please, Miss Brooks. Mr. Conklin wouldn't summon me during my lunch period unless it was something important. I think it is. Daddy sounded very urgent. Maybe some of that ivy crawled into his office. <laughs> you haven't forgotten our date this afternoon, Mr. Boynton. Oh, no. no. I'll call for you after school and take you to the zoo. See you at three, Miss Brooks. All right, Mr. Boynton. Mr. Boynton isn't always as romantic as you'd like him to be, is he, Miss Brooks? No, Harriet, not always. Or ever, for that matter. <laughs> well, maybe it's just as well. You know how Daddy feels about faculty members fraternizing. Not that I think Daddy's right. Sometimes Daddy can be pretty harsh. But then, if Daddy wasn't Daddy, what would he be? Mammy. <laughs> I don't know, Harriet. I'm going up to the steam table and get some lunch, Miss Brooks. Can I bring you anything? No, thanks. Run along, Harriet. Okay, Miss Brooks. <sighs> Poor Miss Brooks. She chases after Mr. Boynton just like Walter Denton runs after me. Oh, I beg your pardon? Why, it's Mr. Brown. Oh, hello, Harriet. Uh, this is Mr. Hastings. Harvey, this is Osgood Conklin's daughter, Harriet. How do you do, my dear? It's always a pleasure to meet a member of Madison's undergraduate body. Especially such a charming and lovely one as yourself. Why, thank you, Mr. Hastings. Golly! <laughs> Mr. Hastings and I were just talking, Harriet. We'll excuse you if you want to get to the steam table. Huh? Oh, yes, Mr. Brill. Will I see you again, Mr. Hastings? No, I would consider that a very fortuitous circumstance indeed, Harriet. You would? Mm. Golly, I'll hurry with my train and come back in a minute. <laughs> You'd better not walk backwards, Harriet, or you'll... She did. <laughs> Hastings is marvelous. You've got something that makes women drop whatever they're doing and concentrate on you. Oh, I don't know, Mr. Brill. I just try to be pleasant to everyone. Uh-huh. Well, you keep it up. We'll have Connie Brooks in our English department in no time. Yeah, now, look, this is a good chance for you to meet her. She's seated at that table over by the wall, and she's alone. Yeah, don't tell her too much right now, but make an appointment for tea. Then we'll really go to work on her. Well, if you say so, Mr. Brill, but it does seem like a kind of dirty trick with teachers so hard to get nowadays. I think... Secret weapons don't think. They act. Now, there's Miss Brooks Hastings. Sicker. <laughs> yes, sir. And when I bring her back and place her at your feet, I expect a whole case of strong heart. <laughs> oh, I beg your pardon, Miss Brooks, but may I introduce myself? What? Yes, I suppose... Well, I'm Constance Brooks. Yes, I know. My name is Hastings, Harvey Hastings. Are these chairs occupied? Just the one I'm sitting in. Oh, I mean, help yourself, please. Oh, thank you. I'm not going to be in town very long, Miss Brooks, and I'll have to move rapidly, so may I take you home after school? That's a little too rapidly. <laughs> Just who are you, Mr. Hastings? Well, I'm a, I'm a sort of a friend of a friend of Mr. Conklin's. He has? <laughs> I dropped over today with Mr. Brill. Oh, the principal of Clay City High. What are you doing here, slumming? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that must be the famous Brooks Wit I've heard so much about. <laughs> <laughs> you can stop now, I have. <laughs> Seriously, Miss Brooks... I think that your undergraduate body is wonderful. Mr. Hastings. No, no, no. The kids, the kids. Oh, the kids. Great bunch. Your faculty's nice, too. Yes, I still have them all. Oh, yes. 
the teacher. Miss Brooks, there's, there's one thing I, I just can't understand. How does a youthful, intelligent, lovely-looking person like yourself happen to be lunching alone? I beg your pardon? Didn't you hear what I said, Miss Brooks? You lost me after youthful. <laughs> oh, really, I, I, I just can't figure it out. All by yourself in this big cafeteria. Oh, a thing like this could never happen at Clay City. Oh, thank you, Mr. Hastings. Miss Brooks, uh, I'm writing a book on the teaching of English in our high schools, and I'd certainly like to include an interview with Madison's outstanding authority on the subject. Oh, an interview. Hmm. Well, I did have a date this afternoon, but... Shall we say tea for two at four? Well, I guess so, but there's something I can't help thinking. Oh, what's that, Miss Brooks? Tea for two at four will mean zoo for one at three. <laughs> and that's why I've summoned you to my office, Mr. Boynton. Jason Brill and his, his secret weapon must be stopped. You've got to make Miss Brooks stay on at Madison. But why me, Mr. Conklin? You, you know how timid I am. Well, you've got to get over it, boy. You like Miss Brooks, don't you? Oh, yes, sir, but... What about your stand on fraternization? I've reversed it as of now. Look, Boynton, all you have to do is act the way you really feel. Or better yet, the way you've seen other people act. <laughs> what do you mean, Mr. Mr. Conklin? Well, you've seen leading men on the screen, haven't you? Humphrey Bogart in Knock on Any Door, Errol Flynn in Don Juan. No, sir, I haven't seen those. Oh, well, what's the last movie you did see? The last movie I saw was called, uh, I believe it was called Arrowsmith. <laughs> I don't go to movies much, Mr. Conklin. You see, I'm more of a radio fan. I listen to those mystery programs a lot. Mystery programs, eh? Well, that's just as good. According to my wife and daughter, those private detective fellows are as attractive as any of the movie stars. Now, why don't you act like one of them when Miss Brooks comes around? Me? Act like a private eye? Certainly. From what I hear, most of them merely sit behind a desk until some beautiful girl comes in. Then they open the drawer, take a big drink, and then they say, Come on, babe, we're going on a caper. <laughs> Whatever that is. <laughs> well, I won't take no for an answer, Boynton. You've got to do it. Well, Mr. Conklin... It's you... for Madison, boy. Tell me that you'll try, Boynton. That's all I ask. <laughs> all right, Mr. Conklin. I'll try. Come in. Oh, it's me, Mr. Boynton. I'm glad I caught you before you left school for the day. I won't be able to go to the zoo with you this afternoon. Mr. Boynton, did you hear what I said? What are you doing at that desk? Park the frame, baby. What? Stash it. Right there. Now, what's the caper, sweetheart? Paper? Now, look, I know the opposition's trying to put the heist on certain persons, but we've got a few angles, too. Angles? They can't get away with it, see? Now, we've got them covered like a bubble dancer in Boston, see? <laughs> and that comes right from Mr. Big, see? Thank you, Edward G. Robinson. <laughs> you, you've got to stay here, Miss Brooks. You can't leave Madison. I don't know what their secret weapon is, but... Just a minute. Uh, Who are we now, Buck Rogers? <laughs> no, no, no. 
That's me, Mr. Boynton. Uh, that was just distilled water I drank. Distilled water? I don't know what Mr. Brill's planning, but don't you... Then perhaps I'd better explain it myself. You'll excuse us, I know. The door was open. I believe you've met Mr. Hastings, Miss Brooks. Oh, yes, I have. Uh, this is Mr. Boynton, Mr. Hastings. How do you do? Hello. Uh, we've got to get back to Clay City a little earlier than I'd planned, Miss Brooks, so I'm afraid your interview will have to be postponed. However, I'm sure that we can take up just where we left off and we are all together in Clay City, huh? Clay City? Yes. As you know, a good teacher is always in demand, Miss Brooks. Oh, As, uh, Gabriel, you teacher snatcher. What has he told you, Miss Brooks? Don't listen to him. Don't listen to anybody. Well, that isn't hard. Nobody's saying anything. <laughs> he's all this anyway. Well, Mr. Hastings here is head of the English department at Clay City, Miss Brooks. Aha! Then he's your secret weapon, huh? Well, if you want to put it that way, actually, I'm a very simple man. Yes, you are, in a jet-propelled sort of way. <laughs> now, see here, Bill. I won't have... You can't do it. I'll have you... Oh, stop puffing, Osgood. You've come to a station. <laughs> what do you say, Miss Brooks? Would you like to transfer to Clay City? Transfer? Well, come to think of it, I have been overworking lately. I might consider a transfer at that. Oh, you can't, Miss Brooks. Oh, why can't she? Have you got some extra chores she can do without pay? How about it, Mr. Conklin? Any more extra work? No, Miss Brooks, none at all. It's very pleasant at Clay City, Miss Brooks. Say you'll come. Say you won't. Which is it, Miss Brooks? Well, it's quite a problem. But now I'd like to ask a question, Mr. Brill. If I were a biology teacher, would you want me to come to Clay City? A biology teacher? Well, frankly, no. There's no opening for a biology teacher. That's all I wanted to know. Good day, gentlemen. I'm remaining at Madison. Well, we tried. Come on, Hastings. Goodbye, Miss Brooks. Ah, good for you, Miss Brooks. <clears throat> Old Madison. The Madison. As old as Thomas Addison. Oh, hallowed halls. Oh, basketball. How short the day. How short the pay. When we gray hair at Madison, we'll still be there at Madison. Hello, Clay City. Brooks returns in just a moment, but first... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. Tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a luster cream shampoo. Only luster cream brings you K. Dumas' magic formula blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Gives loveliness lather even in hardest water. Glamorizes your hair as you wash it. Luster Cream. Not a soap, not a liquid, but a dainty cream shampoo. Leaves hair fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen. Soft, manageable. Gives new beauty to all hairdos or permanence. Four-ounce jar, one dollar. Smaller sizes, either tubes or jars. Tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo and be a... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to a luster cream shampoo. 
And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, Mr. Conklin finally left us all alone in Mr. Boynton's laboratory. Oh, gosh, Miss Brooks, you, you sure had me worried. Were you really afraid I'd leave, Mr. Boynton? Oh, sure, I couldn't even talk. I was so nervous. You didn't get much of a chance. But now that we're alone, Mr. Boynton, is there anything else you want to say to me? Yes, Miss Brooks, there is. What? If we don't hurry, we'll be late for the zoo. <laughs> Where are you going, Miss Brooks? What are you doing at my desk? Park the frame, baby. You're in for the caper of your life. Next week, turn into another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Palmolive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler. Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, Gerald Moore, and Frank Nelson. Stay tuned for The Whistler, next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. A show next that will send chills down your spine. Yes, it's The Whistler. Wait a minute. Have you heard the strange tales of The Whistler? I'm the Whistler. No. 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 I don't want to die. John. Get John. away. Get away. John. Wait. Huh? Oh. Oh. Where is he? Where's who? That man. Oh, you've been having a nightmare, John. Huh? Oh, good heavens, Clara. It was awful. I... I dreamed there was a man in this room, and he stood right over me. And he said I was going to die. And I was going to be murdered within 48 hours. Sunday night, and again CBS presents The Whistler. I, The Whistler, know many things, for I walk by night... I know many strange tales, many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. And so I tell you tonight the strange story, Death Comes at Midnight. John Prentice is a manufacturer, a very busy man who needs his rest. But John had a frightful dream. The dream was not brought on by a guilty conscience, for John's life has been above reproach. He loves his wife, Clara, and their grown daughter, Eva. He has done no wrong to any man. Why, then, this awful dream with its prophecy of death? Now, the following evening, the Prentices are planning to attend a lecture, and Dwight Cooper, Eva's fiancé, is going with them. The wife and daughter are in the living room awaiting his arrival. 
Oh, there's Dwight now, Mother. I'll go to the door. Oh, wait a minute, Eva. You'd better make sure who it is before you open the door. Oh, Mother, are you still worrying about that dream Daddy had last night? Well, I can't help being nervous about it. Well, of course it's Dwight. We're expecting him, aren't we? I'm going to let him in. Well, enter, my lord. Hello, darling. How come you're answering the door yourself? Maid's night out? <laughs> we haven't got a maid. She went to work in a war plant. Well, good for her. We're going to do without a maid for the duration. That's the spirit. Good evening, Miss Prentice. Uh, good evening, Dwight. Now, you see, Mother, it wasn't a big bad wolf after all. Not this time. But we'd better be careful, Eva. Well, what's this about a big bad wolf? Mm, seems that Mother believes in dreams, Dwight. And last night, Dad had one that was really a honey. Oh, I don't believe in dreams. Oh, Daddy! Yes? Dwight's here, so hurry up! I'll be there in just a minute. <laughs> Talk about a woman taking her time dressing. Well, what about this dream? You tell him, Mother. Well, I don't believe that all dreams have a meaning. Uh, but uh, this one John had was a prophecy, and I'm concerned about it. Yes? He kept hearing a man's voice telling him over and over that he was going to be murdered within 48 hours. Murdered? Can you imagine such a thing? Oh, well, I wouldn't be alarmed, Mrs. Prentice. According to psychologists, a dream has no possible relation to the future. They say a dream comes from experiences of the past that have been registered in the subconscious mind. Well, if John's been murdered in the past, I haven't heard about it. <laughs> oh, now, wait. I didn't mean it quite as literally as all that. <laughs> well, Mother's been counting the hours, Dwight. Let's see, the dream came at midnight last night. Well, that means Dad's hour of doom is midnight tomorrow. If he isn't murdered sooner. Well, maybe we'd better not risk taking him to the lecture. Oh, huh? I wish you two wouldn't joke about it. I, I don't think it's any joking matter. Oh, I'll get it. Hello? Hello? Mr. Prentice there? Well, he's busy right now. Could I take a message? Yeah. Tell him he better come to the phone, whether he's busy or not, if he wants to save his life. What? This is a matter of life and death. Oh. Well, hold the line a minute. Of all the amazing things, there's a man on the phone who sounds like a gangster. He wants to talk to Daddy about saving Daddy's life. His life? Maybe I'd better talk to him. Oh, no, no. Uh, no, get John on the phone. Call him, Eva. Oh, uh, Daddy, you're wanted on the phone. It's important. All right, I'm coming. Oh, don't tell me that dream didn't mean anything. Oh, now, Mother, don't get excited. Well, just, what did this fellow say? Well, he... Oh, here's Daddy. Yeah, hello, Dwight. Good evening, Miss Prentice. Uh, Daddy, wait. I don't know who that man is, but he's terribly hard-boiled, and he said I'd better get you to the phone if you want to save your life. What's this? Oh, John, I... I'll, I'll, I'll see what it's all about. Hello? Mr. Prentice? Yes? You don't know me, but you better pay attention to what I'm telling you, see? A certain man here in town, a wealthy guy, has offered me a nice piece of dough to put you out of the way. What? But I want to be reasonable, see? So I'll consider... Hey, are you listening? Yes, yes, I, I, I'm listening. Go ahead. Well, if you want to hike the ante a little bit, say to three grand, I'll call off my deal with this guy. What's more, I'll give you his name. I see. Now, three grand's a small matter to you, so... Wait a minute. Suppose you come here to the house and we'll talk it over. Do I sound like a chump? You're coming to see me, and you're bringing the dough. Oh, no, I'm not. You think I'm going to walk into a trap? You mean you're turning down my proposition? I certainly am. All right, mister. You asked for it. You'll be a goner by midnight tomorrow. All right. So listen. Hello. 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 <laughs> 
midnight tomorrow. Now, not only in a dream, but in actual fact, John has been told that he will not live beyond that hour. John phones the police, and a few minutes later, Captain Arnold arrives at the house. Mr. Prentice, can you think of anyone who'd like to have you put out of the way for any reason at all? I... No. No, Captain, I really can't. Now, you've been in business a good many years. Uh, how about your business rivals? Well, of course, I've, I've made a certain amount of enemies, of course, yeah. but I don't think any of them would go so far as to hire somebody to kill me. Uh, you never can tell. Suppose you name some of your enemies. Oh, no, I... I'm afraid, Captain, I couldn't do that. Well, see here, why not? Well, frankly, because I, I might be causing an innocent person a lot of embarrassment. Oh, well, what of it? We've got to get to the bottom of this some way. Uh, have you had a quarrel with anyone recently? I know, I uh, haven't. Think carefully now. Well, yes, yes, come to think of it, I did have a rather heated argument with a man the other day in my office. Oh, but I'm well, sure... Well, then, who was he? I'd rather not say... Was he a wealthy man? Yes. Then tell me his name. Oh, no, Captain. I'd rather not. <laughs> if you'd go to his house and question him, I don't want... How can the police help you if you won't help yourself? Well, this is none of my business, Mr. Prentice, but if I were you... No. I... No, Dwight. There's no use arguing. Got my own ideas on the subject. Well, that's that, I guess. We'll have to conduct our investigation without your help, Mr. Prentice. Oh, uh, by the way, Captain, I'd... I'd feel a lot safer if you'd send an officer out to watch the house tonight. Well, I brought a man with me. He's out in the car. I'll leave him here. Oh, that'll be fine. I'll leave the car, too, in case he needs it. Well, we'll do what we can, Mr. Prentice. Let us know the developments. Oh, of course. I'm... I want to thank you, Captain. Good night. Good night. Good night, Captain. So John is unwilling to give the name of the man with whom he quarreled. <laughs> is it really because he's concerned about the possible embarrassment of an innocent person? Tonight the house will be well guarded, and as an added protection, Dwight has agreed to stay in the Prentice home. John, feeling quite safe, has gone to bed and fallen into a sound sleep. Then at exactly midnight... Oh, oh, let me go. Let me go. I don't want to die. John. No, no, don't throw me off the bridge. No. Wake up, John. Oh, no, no, no. Wake up, John. What? John, you're in your room. Nothing's happening to you. Oh. You've been shouting your head off. Mother, Mother, what is it? Your father's had another nightmare. I thought that was it. Yes, Evelyn. It was terrible. What kind of a dream was it? Like the other one? Oh, it was worse. Now I know how I'm going to die and when. Oh, you're not going to die. I'm afraid of you. What did you dream, John? He... He took me in a car to the old river bridge on Tower Street. Who took you? I don't know. I never saw him before. He tied my hands behind me with a rope and... When we got to the bridge, he dragged me out of the car and oh. threw me into the river. Oh, my heaven. Just, just as we came to the bridge, I saw an illuminated clock. The hands were pointing to 12. That's when I'm going to die. Oh, Daddy. What time is it now? Well, it's after 12. Oh. Then it's tomorrow at midnight, just like that man said. Daddy, don't talk like that. This dream doesn't mean anything. What about my other dream? It meant something? No, it didn't. That phone call didn't have a thing to do with your dream. It, it was just a coincidence. Now, things will look different to you in the morning. Eva. Yes? Would you mind sending Dwight in here? But he's asleep, Dad. I know, but please send him in. I've, 
I want to talk to him. Well, all right. Sit down, Dwight. They told me about the dream, Mr. Prentice. But I wouldn't let it bother me if I were you. I can't help being bothered. The dream was so vivid, Dwight. And it fits in so perfectly with what's happening in real life. Yes, I'll admit that's rather strange. The reason I sent for you... Well, if anything should happen to me, I want you to sort of take charge of things for Clara and Eva. How do you mean? I've made a will that takes care of my property, but there's my life insurance. It amounts to $100,000, and the money will have to be invested. I see. Who's the insurance payable to? Clara. But, of course, she knows nothing about investments. You advise her, will you, Dwight? I've got faith in your judgment. Yes. I'll be glad to help in any way I can. I come to think of it, I, I owe a payment on that policy right now. But the grace period isn't up for a couple of days yet. I'll make the payment if I'm still alive. Oh, I have an idea you'll be alive, all right. But as you say, if anything should happen, I'll be glad to advise Mrs. Prentice. Oh, I knew you would, Dwight. And thanks. <laughs> Next morning, John announces that he will stay at home all day. Clara, upset by the events of the night before, remains in her room. But John is feeling much better. He views things differently with the coming of a new day. He will not yield to this feeling of inevitable doom. He will fight the situation. <laughs> Hello? Mr. Prentice? Oh, it's you again. Dwight, get on that extension in the library. Just, uh... Thought I'd call and ask if you've changed your mind. No, I have not. Much more, I defy you to even lay a hand on me. I'm being protected by the police. Well, ain't that fine. So you won't come across, huh? No, I won't. Look, Prentice, the water in that river is awful cold. What? What did you say? Hello. Hello. Dwight, did you hear that? What's the matter, Daddy? I heard every word. Sounded like he meant business. Something wrong? That man, he phoned me again. I don't know what to think. Well, what did he say? He he wanted to know if I changed my mind, and when I told him I hadn't, he he told me the water in the river would be awfully cold. What? How did he know about my dream? How did he know? Yeah, it's the most uncanny thing I ever heard of. What's the answer to all this? Daddy, he didn't know about your dream. It's just the other way around. Well, what do you mean? I'm afraid Mother's right. Your dreams are foretelling the future, Daddy. They're warning you of what's going to happen. Now John's spirits are crushed again. For if the dream told the truth, then his fate is sealed in spite of anything he can do. Dwight, however, is not ready to give up. He is annoyed with Eva for admitting her belief in the dream. Darling, for your father's sake, you shouldn't have said what you did, even though you believe it yourself. Well, I know, Dwight. Perhaps I shouldn't have said it before I thought. But there must be something to those dreams. Yes, I know. You got me guessing. But look. Let's try to do something. Do what? I've been thinking about this quarrel your father had. He won't tell us the man's name, but maybe we can find out. How? Through your father's secretary. The quarrel took place in his office, you know. Oh, yes. Miss Edwards might know about it. Well, shall we get out and see her? But look, let's not tell her what we want the information for. The less we say about this situation, the better. And we'll give her some other reason. Yes. Get your coat and hat on, honey. We'll get out of my car. <laughs> Thank you. 
Miss Edwards, this is Mr. Cooper, my fiancé. How do you do? Miss Edwards. We'd like to ask you a few questions, if you can spare us a few moments. Why, yes, of course. My father isn't feeling very well today, and that's why he didn't come down. See, we've learned that he's rather upset about a heated argument he had recently with some wealthy man here at the office. Argument? Daddy won't talk about it. He hasn't even mentioned the man's name, but it's quite necessary that we find out all we can about it. If you'll tell us who the man was, we'll treat the matter in confidence. But, uh, I don't know of any fuss your father had, Miss Prentice. He, he's quite an even-tempered man. Yes? Are you sure you don't remember? Very well. There was an argument. I, I couldn't hear what was being said. They were in your father's private office, but I did hear your father talking quite angrily with Mr. Reeves. Who's he? Milton Reeves. He's been in several big deals with Mr. Prentice. Oh. Couldn't you hear anything that was being said? No. Just their loud voices. Uh, Mr. Reeves was angry, too, but I really couldn't make out what they said. No? Well, at any rate, we've got something to go on, either. Yes. I think we'd better have a talk with Mr. Reeves. Thank you, Miss Edwards. You won't tell Mr. Prentice that I said anything, will you? And, or Mr. Reeves, either? Oh, no. You can depend on that. I'm Dwight Cooper, Mr. Reeves, and this is Miss Prentice. How do you do, Miss Prentice? John Prentice's daughter, aren't you? Yes, I am. Well, what is it, Mr. Cooper? I'm in a bit of a hurry. I, I'm going away on a trip this afternoon. I'll be very brief. We've heard that you and Mr. Prentice had some sort of a disagreement with each other a few days ago. Yes? Who told you that? Mr. Prentice is quite ill, Mr. Reeves, and we think it's a result of that quarrel. If we could find out something about it, we might be able to straighten him out. Well, John knows all about it. He won't talk about it, Mr. Reed. He won't, eh? Well, John shouldn't let a thing like that get him down. Business is business, you know. He wanted me to renew a loan, and I refused to do it. So that was it. In his particular business, well, I, I don't know what the future will be with all this rationing and priorities. Had you promised to renew the loan? Well, as a matter of fact, I had. But I changed my mind, which is my privilege. John wanted me to wait a few days. Said he was trying to borrow some money from the state mutual. But I didn't think it was good business to wait, so I called the loan. Oh, I see. I imagine that made him pretty angry. Did it? You'll pardon me, Miss Prentice, for talking so frankly about your father, but really, I never heard a man get so abusive in my life. Why, he actually threatened me. Yes? He acted like a schoolboy. Said he'd get revenge. Do you think he will get revenge? Oh, no, no, I... Oh, yes. You're afraid of him, aren't you? You'd like to arrange things so he couldn't possibly get revenge, wouldn't you, Mr. Reeves? Did you threaten him? Say, what are you getting at? I think you know what we're getting at. I do not. Now, see here. I've told you all I'm going to tell you, so now I'll ask you both to leave. Surely. You've told us quite enough, Mr. Reeves. Dwight, hadn't we better go to the police station and tell Captain Arnold? No, darling, not yet. But I'm sure Reeves is the one who's hired that thug to kill your father. So am I. He said he was going on a trip. He wants to be out of the way when it happens, so he won't be suspected. Of course. Then why shouldn't we have him arrested? I'd like to get more evidence first. I want to find out more about that loan. Who do you think could tell me? Well, Mr. McAdams ought to be able to tell you. He's the treasurer of Daddy's firm. All right, I'll go see him. Look, honey, suppose you take a taxi and go on home. See how things are getting along. Oh, Dwight, I... Please, honey, I may have to do some running around. Look, don't tell your father about this. Oh, no. All right, Dwight. But don't be gone too long. I won't tell him. Mm-hmm. 
Dwight has been gone much too long to suit Eva. It is now 11.30 at night. Eva and her mother have become increasingly nervous as the clock ticks off the seconds, bringing the time closer and closer to midnight, John's last moment on earth. Oh, for heaven's sakes, Dwight, where have you been? We've been worried to death. Well, one thing led to another. McAdams had gone out in the country, but I finally caught up with him. Have you told the police about Mr. Reeves? No, I haven't. Where's Mr. Prentice? In the library. Oh, he's in a terrible state of mind, Dwight. He's got the door locked. He told the policeman to stand outside his window. Someone at the door. Oh, my heavens. Oh, why didn't that police... Now, don't stop. get panicky. I'll see who it is. Open the wicket. It's a messenger boy. It might be a trick. It looks all right. Telegram for Mr. Prentice. All right, I'll take it. Sign here. There you are. Here. Oh, thanks, mister. I wonder who'd be... Mrs. Travis, have I your permission to open this message? For certain reasons, I'd like to see who it's from. Why, yes, Dwight. Go ahead. What is it, Dwight? It's important. Very important. I've got to show it to your father right away. Mr. Prentice, open up. It's Dwight. Mr. Prentice. It's all right, Daddy. Unlock the door. Dwight's got a telegram for you. Hmm. Why doesn't he answer? Well, go outside and look through the window. The officer's out there. Come on. Where is that officer, Eva? I don't see him. I don't know, Dwight. Daddy told him to stay right here by the window. Eva, look. The window's wide open. What? Uh, uh, What's that? Oh, my heavens. There's the policeman on the ground. Something's happened to him. He's hurt. Officer. <laughs> Officer. He's coming around. What happened? Uh, I, I seen a car drive up in the alley. Oh. A light-colored sedan. And just as I, I started to investigate, somebody slugs me in the back of the head. That's, that's all I remember. And they got him. They've got Daddy. Darling, I'm, I'm going after that sedan. How do you know where it went? I'll find it. I'll drive to the Tower Street Bridge. I'm going with you. No, you stay here, Eva. Why does Dwight think he'll find the light-colored sedan at the Tower Street Bridge? Is it because Mr. Prentice saw that bridge in his dream? Or is there another reason? A reason known only to Dwight. But Eva can't wait, and so a moment later, another car speeds toward the bridge. The policeman's car. The officer is at the wheel, and Eva and Clara are by his side. Oh, officer, can't you go faster? I'm driving as fast as I can, Miss Prentice. Say... I'd better put in a radio call to headquarters and have them send a squad car to the other side of that bridge. No telling what we'll run into there. There's the bridge right ahead, officer. And I there's the clock. It. What clock? The one Daddy saw in his dream. And look, it's midnight. I don't know nothing about the dream, Miss Prentice. All I, I see know... a car out on the bridge. You see it? That's the baby. That's the one I saw at the house. Where's Dwight's car? Dwight's car isn't there. Ah, he must have got lost. Say, we'd better watch our step. The squad car ain't come to the other end yet. Oh, hurry, officer. Now, don't you get out of the car. You stay here. I'll see what's going on. Yes, but hurry. All right, Miss Prentice. You and your mother can come here. 
Daddy there. There ain't a soul here. The car's deserted. Oh, the two ladies. He's already done it. Who's done what? Oh, can't you remember anything? I told you about Daddy's dream. I'm talking about that man. He's thrown Daddy in the water. Oh. Isn't there something we can do? Oh, it couldn't have happened very long ago. If your father's been thrown in the river, Miss Pentis, he's a goner, but oh, now... No. Nobody could swim in that current. Oh, poor Daddy. But I can't figure out is why the guy left the car here. Oh, poor John. Hey, look. There's some rope in the back of the car. And a knife. He tied Daddy's hand. Hey, here comes the squad car now. They're coming in from the other end of the bridge. Oh, officer, who's this car registered to? Uh, wait a minute. Well, by golly, there's no registration slip in it. I know who it belongs to. Milton Reed. I'll take the number and we'll check on it later. Well, what's up, Jack? Uh, it looks like there's some dirty work been going on here. Yeah? Well, maybe this guy knows something about it. Quit showing me, will you? Where'd you pick him up? He was running away from the bridge. Oh, he was, huh? All right, buddy. What do you know about this sedan? Not a thing. I wasn't on the bridge. Well, that's him. That's the man who threatened Daddy over the phone. I can tell by his voice. Well, now we're getting someplace. All right, you. Give. Where's Mr. Prentice? I don't know what you're talking about. You threw him into the river, didn't you? No. You're a liar. Come on. I don't know nothing. We'll get you to talk at headquarters. A few minutes later, the river's being dragged for Prentice's body. But what has become of Dwight? He hasn't been seen since he drove away toward the bridge. The two heartbroken women return home to wait for the sad news. They step into the house, and Mrs. Prentice breaks into a sob. Come, Mother. You must try to get hold of yourself. We, we must try to be brave. Oh, I know, dear. I know. <laughs> what has become of Dwight? Oh, I don't know what on earth could have happened to him. Eva, darling. Dwight, what are you doing there in the library? We thought you'd run out on us. Well, I haven't been here long. Oh, Dwight, it's terrible. I never dreamed such a thing was going to happen. No, no, just be patient, darling. <laughs> I'll tell you everything. I told you I finally saw McAdams. Yes? Well... The story about the loan was a lot worse than we thought. I found that Reeves had a grudge against your father. So he planned to ruin him and get everything he had. And he did just that. By refusing to renew and calling the loan. He did it deliberately. He worked in a backhanded manner and wrecked the business. He held the paper on everything your father owned. Father? Father's broke? Yes. Reeves broke your father. Absolutely penniless. Reeves has the business, this house, everything. He pulled it so fast that your father hadn't a chance to get on his feet. When I found that out, I suspected the truth, but I wasn't sure until I got to that bridge. The truth? Then you did go to the bridge. I did. And I got there just in time to prevent the tragedy. I pulled, pulled your father into my car by force, turned around on the bridge, and came back here. Oh, what are you saying? He, he isn't dead. No, he's here, in the library. Oh, oh Kevin. John, John. No, no, just, just a minute, oh, please. I'll bring him in. Come in, Miss Prentice. Oh, Father, thank heaven you're safe. John, what happened? I know how you feel, Mr. Prentice, but you better tell him. Yes, Dwight, I will. You see, my dears, I just couldn't bear the thought of my wife and daughter suffering poverty. The only thing I had left was that insurance policy, and it would have lapsed in another day. I had to think fast. John, you don't if mean... If I'd commit suicide while the policy was in effect, you'd get $100,000. But I wanted to spare you the disgrace of the suicide, so I decided to kill myself and make it appear as though I'd been murdered. Oh. Then, as I developed the plan, I got an inspiration. 
Why not hang the murderer on Reeves, the man who had deliberately ruined me? That would be my revenge. Well, now you know the whole story. Now you understand the nightmares. But the, the telephone call... Well, I hired the man to make the calls and steal Reeves' car and drive me to the bridge and then give me the motor, as though it had stalled. All so that my murder could be traced directly to Reeves, who really had a motive to kill me. What motive? Well, my secretary knew all about it. When I discovered it was Reeves who was back of my failure, I threatened to divulge something I knew about him. He flew into a rage. The secretary heard him, and that was just what I wanted. But I knew I couldn't raise the money quickly enough, and my insurance policy was up tomorrow at noon. Well, that's the story. And it's all a miserable mess. <laughs> yes, John. It's all a very, very sad situation. Oh, but wait a minute. What about that telegram the boy delivered earlier? Where does that fit in? Was that part of your plan, John? Telegram? What telegram? Let me see it, Dwight. Why, it's... It's from the State Mutual. They've granted the loan I requested. Yes, John, they've granted the loan. Now you can straighten things out. Now you can get back on your feet again. But think, John, what a sad tale this would have been if you'd followed through with your plan and Dwight hadn't caught you on the bridge at midnight. <laughs> CBS has presented The Whistler. Original music for this production was composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Tonight's Whistler story was written by Herbert Connor, directed by J. Donald Wilson, and came to you from Columbia Square in Hollywood. Next Sunday, 9.15... I, The Whistler, will return to tell you another unusual tale. <laughs> Good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be joining me next week for more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.